Good afternoon, America. We are live on Facebook. Welcome to Lessons from the Front. I am your host, Todd Boating. And as always, we are sponsored by Carry the Load. Uh, well, we are Carry the Load, I guess is probably the better way to put it. One of these days we'll get a sponsor. So if anybody's actually listening out there, let us know if you're interested in uh, in sponsoring this and writing it because we've got fantastic guests still to come. But today we're going to focus on one of my very dear friends uh, through Carry the Load, and that guy's name is J.J. Leonard. J.J. Leonard, former Marine officer, welcome to Lessons from the Front, sir. Thank you, Todd. Happy to be here. Yeah, Semper Fi. Semper Fi. You, you know why, uh, very specifically, why you're one of my uh, favorite people to Carry the Load? Because I was a Marine, or am a Marine? There you go. That's that's all it is. I mean, <laughs> that's all there is to it, right? It's it's that simple. I mean, you know, we got some good people here, but I mean, right. you know, it's 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 like uh, you know, Jake Schick said at the uh, at the kickoff the other night, which was a fantastic event, by the way. You know, uh, it, it's funny how Clint and Stephen, you know, these these Navy SEALs, what do they do? They bring us Marines in to uh, to actually get stuff done. That's right. So <laughs> that's right. What was the, uh, when we're reminded we're at the Department of the Navy, we would say, yes, the, the men's department. The men's department. <laughs> Absolutely. Probably, yeah. I probably don't even know if I can say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember, no politics in this show. No okay. politics. Okay. But, uh, no, you, you know, what was really funny is I was giving a lot of people grief, um, or, you know, I was giving some of the other services grief, and a lot of folks came up to me afterwards. They were like, man, I love it when you you take those digs at the other services. And a lot of people don't understand that that's just, that's just part of the service. That's yeah. what we do. I mean, you know, we get, you know, we get blasted all the time about being the knuckle draggers and, you know, that's, that's okay. We love it. I mean, that's just the banter that, that everybody enjoys. Exactly. So, exactly. so JJ, we're going to talk a little bit today about your involvement in carry the load. We're going to talk a little bit about your, your time in service, but I love talking to people because I've never had this conversation with you. Tell us who J.J. Leonard was before the service. Okay, so um, grew up in Dallas um, and uh, most, mostly in the Lake Highlands area. Mm -hmm. So was fortunate enough, um, you know, I, I, I grew up playing sports, love sports, and uh, you know, I, I, I love Dallas Cowboys, love watching football. I didn't play, start playing football until um, seventh grade. I actually uh, played soccer growing up uh, a lot. And then uh, as I got bigger and taller, um, it became, you know, clear that, and I wanted to start playing football. I went to Lake Island Junior High and started doing that. And as I, um, as I got bigger and taller, it was, I, I, I told them my, my seventh grade year that I wanted to be a, um, a running back or a linebacker. And they said, that's great. You're going to be an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman or both. <laughs> and so that was the beginning of my football career. And um, I, 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 I mentioned that because um, that kind of helped shape my path into the military. Um, okay. And, you know, I, I, obviously I, there's a lot more about JJ Leonard pre, uh, pre-military uh, than, than just than just sports and football but I, I really really did have a great upbringing my um, my my both of my grandfathers uh, served in the military both 
uh, career one army for 32 years, um, was a chief warrant officer five. And then my grandfather on my mom's side was 20 years in the Navy. Um, a lot of that was reserves, but, you know, so had a, had a lot of, uh, learned a lot from them. Uh, loved hearing them tell stories They both, you know, greatest generation served in World War II. So, um, helped shape also my uh, just admiration and respect for the, for the military and for our country. And just, um, you know, I think that also led to me wanting to serve. So by, by the time I, you know, started getting to, to high school and my senior year, I was recruited by different schools to play football. Um, some of those schools being the academies. And um, I went on a visit to Annapolis and visited the Naval Academy and was just fell in love. You know, I, I knew I wasn't going to play football in on Sundays. Um, as, as even as good as I thought I was, I knew that wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, they used to joke they used to time my forty yard dash with a calendar. So uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so so yeah, so I I it was like I, I you know. Would I have gone, you know, necessarily the path I went if it wasn't for football? Yeah, I had good grades, et cetera. But I looked at that opportunity to go uh, to one of the academies and then to serve after that for a minimum of five years. And I, I just I fell in love with the idea. So my head coach in high school was a former Marine who had served in Vietnam. And, you know, I, I knew that if, hey, I could, I could go through his two a days and our coaching staff. I mean, I learned so many lessons from him and from, and from them that I took with me into the service. And so all, all of that uh, combined, you know, just very, very fortunate to, to have the opportunity to accept a, an appointment to the Naval Academy in 1991. So your high school coach was a, was a Vietnam Marine. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Um, and, uh, I would imagine that there are times, you know, kind of like I mentioned the other night at the, uh, uh, you know, at the kickoff, I just, if there are certain things when they're happening, I kind of imagine a drill instructor or a, um, you know, or, well, let's just leave it at drill instructor, kind of standing there going, this is what you should be doing. Do you have that, that same recollection of, uh, of coach, you know, like, absolutely. What, what, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I, I coached Zafudo and then his staff because they were all about discipline. Um, he was always preaching that we will keep our poise. He had, we, we wore a uniform on, uh, same, everybody wore the same outfit on, on game day. And he had an itinerary for everything that we did. And, uh, it was yes, sir. No, sir. You know, he said, if you said, huh, or yeah. I mean, you're running at the end of practice. So we all had short haircuts. You know, it was very, uh, really tight-knit group, very diverse group. Um, just had it, just learned a lot. And so, yeah, but once once I went through Plebe Summer at the Academy, I was like, like, like I said, um, Coach Zafudo <laughs> would, 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 would get on me and um, just like the, the upperclassmen would. And, you know, I, I, I could handle it. So, or at least... You know, that was what I told myself. So you, you mentioned The Greatest Generation. Phenomenal book. Um, 
And I'm trying to, I think that came out after you were at the Academy though. So how, how did that reading that book and, and for anyone who hasn't read that book, I completely agree. One of the best, I thought Tom Brokaw did a phenomenal job with that book. Um, how did that change your perspective on your service? And I, I realize we're, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but mm -hmm. as you served in the Marine Corps, how did reading that book change your perspective? Well, um, I, I hate to admit, Todd, that I haven't read that book. Oh, I thought you, I, I thought you said you had. Okay. No, no, no. I, 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 uh, I referenced the greatest generation, but okay. I, that that's on, that's still on the list of, of, uh, a stack of books. Matter of fact, that I intend on reading that I haven't yet. Um, but yes, okay. my, both okay. my grandparents being a part of the greatest generation and serving in war two and, and Korean wars, you know, it, 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 it really, um, well then, let, let me added, let me slightly, yeah, let me slightly change the question then because yeah. you you did maybe you didn't read the book, but you heard the stories from the Greatest Generation. I know you referenced that. Mm -hmm. Tell me how how that altered your perspective of things because I you know having read the book, I, I can tell you that that was yeah uh, the humility of that generation was absolutely. Um, they just had a there was a call to serve. Uh, our country and they went, they didn't ask questions. They were like, where do I sign up? How quickly can I get in? Um, my grandfather who was in the army lied about his age um, when he was 17 to enlist and um, said he was 18. And you know, I guess they didn't check the birth certificate or whatnot. <laughs> but, uh, so he, he enlisted when he was 17 and, and it was, it, it was just, they didn't think twice about it. Right. Story after story after story. So, you know, again, when, when you start talking about the greatest generation, you talk about humility and, and you said they didn't ask questions. And you're, you're exactly right. They didn't ask questions. It was it was very similar to a lot of America after 9-11. Now, you obviously served prior to 9-11, but it, you were, if I'm not mistaken, you were either just out or you were still in the reserves. Still in the reserves. During 9-11. What, what, what do you remember about that, about that day? Um, I think shock was the, was the primary <laughs> emotion, uh, disbelief. Uh, I remember, I mean, I think everybody does remember exactly where you were. I, I, I just started, um, Actually, I was in transition between finishing up a job that I'd, I'd had in telecom and then starting my career in commercial real estate. But I remember exactly where I was. I remember initially thinking, obviously, that it was an accident and, and, a, and a small plane. And then a video came out and a second plane. And it was just like, then it was, okay, we're under attack. And, and it, I mean, just could not believe that uh, that, that was occurring you know, on American soil. And so um, anger obviously <laughs> ensued and then, and then just wanting, you know, there to be, um, you know, proper justice for those who are involved. And, and, if, and if that spread into, you know, other countries, then that might be part of it. Which it well, that, that, was, 
that was obviously, um, you know, there was the greatest generation. They had Pearl Harbor, and that was our generation's Pearl Harbor, if you will. Um, what? Um, tell me about your time in service. You were a, an intel officer, and, and for those of us who have served long enough, we understand the uh, the paradox in saying military intelligence. But that's you know exactly. Hey, don't I don't hold, I don't hold you accountable for that, JJ. So you know. What was it like being in a, explain to everybody what an intelligence officer is. Uh, so actually they had just, they had just started, General Krulak um, had just implemented a new, bro broken the, the intelligence officer discipline into four MOSs or specialties. And uh, it was ground intelligence who worked with the scout sniper platoons, um, signals intelligence, which is more, you know, dealing with NSA and different, agencies. And then um, there was in aviation intelligence, which is what I did. And then human or human intelligence, which was um, essentially, you know, that they would work with the CIA. A lot of times those, those folks would have, you know, beards, long hair, be, you know, in country in different places and off the radar. Sounds um, like you're talking about a couple of people we know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so I, I went the aviation intelligence route and was fortunate uh, enough to be stationed at, in Miramar, which was a Navy base that, that changed to a Marine Corps base or Marine Corps Air Station. And it's part of the, the BRAC, the Realignment and Closure Act um, that I think was passed in 95. So I got out there in 96 and I was with Marine Aircraft Group 11, which is an F-18 air group, and then uh, deployed with uh, them with one of the squadrons, the uh, VMFA 323, which was the Death Rattlers. And um, I, I love the names of oh, yeah. the squadrons, the, the squadrons. Death Rattlers, the, the Night Stalkers. I mean, you know, you, you exactly. name it. There's, just, there's some great names in there. Oh, yeah. Almost as funny as now, did you have a call sign? You know what? They, they tried different call signs that, um, and, and it was hard for any of them to stick because. My name is, you know, a nickname. Okay. So I was just like, JJ was so easy. And, you know, they, they, they threw everything against the wall, but it was always kind of came back to JJ. So I, there was, there were some that, that, um, yeah, I probably couldn't share on, on the air. <laughs> and well, that's, uh, always, that's always the way those nicknames go. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but all, all, ever. Uh, all of my buddies and the, um, my counterparts were all pilots. Um, they were, they all had call signs, all, all great, great, great people, great guys. And, and um, so and my job as an intelligence officer really was to understand the enemy's capabilities uh, specifically okay. with respect to what well, it's, 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 it's respect to targeting and, and targets we're taking out. If we're not, involved in what we call close air support, which is supporting, you know, infantry. Um, if we're actually taking out targets, so which, which was ex our responsibility as part of a carrier battle group was to work with um, the Air Force and then the British uh, in Kuwait and Saudi uh, to keep, you know, essentially um, Saddam Hussein and, and uh, you know, the no-fly zones, the UN Security Council resolutions and all that was going on kind of in throughout the 90s you know, really was, was, you know, keeping that, you know, the, keeping those, those, 
tight and keep it making sure ensuring that between the 33rd and 36th parallel you know we own that that sky and 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 there were there were you know strikes we ended up doing uh, numerous which were, which were planned so we had to understand okay what what are the enemy's capabilities um against what, what are the threats against our aircraft against the battle group um so yeah that was that was a lot i can go into a lot of details about you know more that we did but really it's taking all sources of intelligence and and in, in the carrier you have what's called a skiff or or a carrier intel center and you know that's where it's all secured obviously because there's classified information in there and we do a lot of strike planning and and analysis get uh imagery we, we get reports that came out through a lot of different sources so you had to take all of that and boil it down and you know make a concise recommendation to you know anyone from from the pilots who are going on the mission to the the admiral who heads up the entire carrier battle group you know who i briefed on quite a few occasions yeah and and obviously you know when we talk about intelligence in the military we talk about information and information is obviously you know the most important thing especially the guys like me who operated on the ground we needed intel i mean you know we needed information because otherwise you're 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 walking into uh the unknown and, and as a human being there's no greater fear than the unknown and so you know although we've always given you guys a, a tremendous amount of hard time and rightfully so um, it's it's kind of like, um, you know, weather forecasting. You take the data that you have, and, and I don't want to speak for Pete Delkis. You know, Pete may be watching this tonight. But, but um, I, you know, you, you take the data that you have and you draw conclusions from that data. And sometimes it's right on. Sometimes it's not. And so I, I, with all that being said, how do you think the intelligence, the military intelligence of today operates when you when you start thinking about unmanned aircraft that that to me is one of the 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 strange it's 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 a bit of a it's an interesting mix we've got unmanned aerial vehicles fighting battles and wars how does a guy like you come to terms with that because so much of your data was based on on human gathering factors now you're relying on a vehicle flying high above does, is it a different world to you or do you just kind of shake your head or what? It, it absolutely is a different world. Just, just as today's a different world, you know, in, in a civilian world, right. As it, as it was, you know, as we were back in the nineties I and mean, from a, and a lot of that is because of technology and, and how technology has come along. And we really started to see it evolve when I was um, in the service so, you know, just all the different sources of intelligence, the fact that, you know, we could gather all this information in the middle of the, the Persian Gulf and uh, consolidate it and get it real time. And we had the bandwidth at the, you know, in 1999 to be able to, to take imagery on board and, you know, put presentations together and do all that. Well, that we were, and, and GPS, you know, munitions were just starting to come online. Um, back then, it was a lot more laser guided, either self laser or you know, laser uh, guided to a target from another plane, mm -hmm. um, or sight, you know, bombing. And so, the 
the technology started to evolve and it kept evolving. And I think there, there's still, and there always will be the human element of it. And that will never go away. Um, I it, it can't because, you know, the, the, there are UAVs, they gather in intelligence, but you know, there's, there's always going to be, we're, 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 we're people, right. And, and there's nations and, and there's, a lot of factors that go into it and there's got to be you know those individuals who can disseminate and, and or, or aggregate collect process analyze and then disseminate that information so i yes there's a lot of uh, things that have become automated or or that you've taken some of the, the you know, risk of error out of it i guess because of uh, advances in technology and i think that's good um hey if it if it means less fewer mistakes and less loss of life and and you know then then i think that's awesome um but i think there will always be a human element so you i've heard you say that um you know the the basic course okay or, or excuse me the basic school you know we, we referred to in the marine corps tbs you learned a lot about yourself at the basic school what did you learn about yourself? I mean, can you pinpoint anything in particular that, that just really resonates with you? And, and for those who, who don't know what the basic school is, it is, a, it is a six month crash course into everything you need to know, but we're afraid to ask about the Marine Corps. It's not, uh, and, and for everybody out there watching, it's, it's, not, um, uh, it's, it's not officer candidate school. It's the basic course, meaning I'm going to learn the basics. What did you learn about yourself there? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I, I learned really what it meant to be a Marine. You know, I think that was because even at the Naval Academy, we had um, a very, it was a very Marine you know, flavor to it. If you, you look at the brigade of midshipmen all the way down, regiment, battalions, companies, I mean, that's all. And a lot of people don't understand that, that, you know, 16 to 18% of the graduates coming out of there each year are, are Marine Corps. Um, what what percentage? 16 to 18%, at least when yeah. I was there. That's higher than I realized. Yeah. And so um, it fluctuates just based on the needs of the Corps, I think, and the, and the you know, all, all, all those dynamics that go in year in, year out. But um I saw it as I knew I wanted to be in the Marine Corps. I knew that I wanted the challenge of that. I wanted uh, just just to go. There's nothing wrong with you know being on a ship or being a submarine and being a pilot in the Navy. Uh, I, I just I really felt drawn to go toward the Marine route. And then so when I got to the basic officer course and really you know you 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 learn like and you know, I don't think you touched on this part of it, but all Marine officers have the a the common ground of going through that that course regardless of what specialty but they learn what it means you know at a at a certain level to be you know why the marine corps exists which is you know our infantry right and and the tactics of infantry and so so what what does the the, the ground battle look like and and every other specialty in, in the marine corps exists to support that effort and what, what, you know, we were told by our, the major who was uh, the head of our major hunger, who was uh, uh, leader of our basic school class, he said, you know, 
if, if, if there's World War III and we're in a war of attrition and, there's, and, and we need to pull officers who you know, are, are aviation intelligence officers into the infantry front, I mean, you have that training and that, and that understanding of what that means. I mean, you've gone through, you know, um, offense, defensive tactics, war week we had there, um, rifle, pistol training, the whole deal. It's like, it, it's all geared towards having that understanding of what the foundation of the Marine Corps is, which, you know, I'm paying you a lot of homage here, obviously, but it's the truth is, is why, um, it, it's, it's, it's the infantry. You know, it's it's supporting the the ground pounders, if you will. So, is there is there? And first of all, I appreciate the homage. I mean, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm just a, a regular grunt. <laughs> you know, there's uh, is there is there any particular thing that stands out from your time in service? Is there you know whether it be at the basic school? Um, you know, for for a lot of people, they don't realize it. I mean, at the academy, that is that is time and service. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you're in the Persian Gulf, is there any particular story that still stays with you to this day that guides you in your 25 years of marriage to your high school sweetheart, that guides you in your in your your conduct of regular business duties at Stream Realty? What is there anything like that that stands out? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say it was. Um, I mean, there are a couple of, of going back to the academy, and then and there's 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 a couple of different. Um, inflection points along the way, you know, and when, when I went on the deployment, that was, um, June of 99 through December of 99 and the workups probably for the previous seven months. So all of the training we did either in Fallon, Nevada or, or out actually on the carrier, you know, for three, three and a half week increments, getting ready as a carrier battle group to go out and, and, um, and deploy. And, and, you know, so being in, in the Persian Gulf and, and planning probably uh, 12 to 15 different missions and strikes. I mean, we, we flew sorties daily over, over the no-fly zone and, and enforced the no-fly zone. And, and there was... Oh, I, um, I got to stop you. When you say flew sorties, people hear that expression. What the hell is a sortie? It's basically, I say it, but I don't know what it means. It, it, it's 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 basically one of the you know the flights that was planned for uh, that particular area of space over Iraq. You know, but it doesn't have to be Iraq. I mean, sorties are like it could be, but it's it's basically referring to to flights and and and. I know, but I don't know where the hell sortie came from. I need—I got to study that. Like half the things that we would roll up our tongue, we probably had no idea where it came from. We just kind of knew what it meant. And 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 when you have a glossary of acronyms and terms book that's goat, you know, you know that that you talk in acronyms. So, oh my gosh, I've never heard that one. No, I've never, I've never used. We had a glossary of acronyms and terms, and, and underneath it was said goat. And it was like that thick, and it was like okay, because there's so many acronyms, you kind of you pull it out and say, oh, that's what that means. Well, and that's um, that's how you found your way into the commercial real estate business. You got, we got, we got just as many acronyms in the in the real estate world as we yes. had in the Marine Corps. It seems like. Oh yeah, I just you know it was it's perfect career for me. 
So um, I totally yeah. derailed you there over sorties. So I apologize, but no. tell me, tell me that moment. What, what is it that stands out? Well, there was just the amount of responsibility I was given as a 27 year old captain. Um, I still, I'll never have that amount of responsibility again. Uh, I, I lead a team and we have 16 million square feet of, of office space and I'm very blessed. And, um, Obviously, I look at my responsibility as a, as a husband and father uh, in a whole different category. But as far as just from a, from a you know, your job, um, the, the amount of responsibility I was given, briefing pilots, you know, telling them what's, you know, essentially ensuring that if we were going to attack a certain site, that there weren't going to be civilian casualties using all of our information, what's the best munition to use? What's the threat? Are there AAA or anti-aircraft artillery or surface-to-air missiles or, or surface-to-surface missiles? And, and all those things uh, existed and we had to be very aware of them and monitor them. And Saddam kind of moved all those around like a shell game. So during the latter part of the Clinton administration, when we were there, um, the, the US and British you know, planned a, a, a strike um, into southern Iraq that was, you know, I don't know how much detail I can go into it at this point, but it was, uh, it was to, to essentially take out a lot of these anti-aircraft artillery pieces that were, um, you know, always posing a threat to our pilots because even though they wouldn't turn their radar on, which would allow them to be, you know, much more accurate, some of these were, would reach up to 35,000 feet and have pretty big explosions in the air. They did, they would fire surface-to-air missiles, but they were afraid to turn their radars on because we had, you know, radar-seeking missiles. So, you know, the, um, I, I would just say that there was, there was one particular mission that, that we planned over um, three days and it kept being called off. So like every single day we plan it and then be called off and then, you know, for various reasons. And then we got the, uh, the, the green light and that ended up being, uh, an incredibly complicated and an incredibly, uh, successful, you know, particular mission. And it, just being able to, to plan that, to, to brief, you know, the, the squad, all of the squadrons, Navy and Marine Corps, um, the, the battle group commander, all of it, uh, was just, I mean, I'll never forget it. I, I tell that story often. People ask about the deployment, what I did. I mean, that's the one thing that pops in my mind. Um, as that one story that pops in my mind. As did you ever get it wrong? What's that? Did you ever get it wrong? You know, that's that's something that I I, I would you know, and I was going to bed at night saying my prayers on the on the ship. I would pray that I didn't ever get it wrong. But, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of times you, you, just, you, didn't, you didn't know other than you trusted all the information that you had. And, you know, I mean, I think if you remember back in, in the, the 90s in the Saddam regime there, I mean, he just wanted to have an incident to put on, you know, CNN or have, have something, you know, of note that would make headlines as look at the oppressive, you know, U.S. and British coalition forces, and so that that was 
we were we were, we were very we were very careful. I mean, we really were. We were very careful. We made sure you know they they flew. Um, at one point, there was two million plus flight hours flown over Iraq by coalition forces without a Class A mishap, which is which occurs. I I don't know what the total is. If there's pilots listening, they'll probably I'm butchering this, but that the, 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 that's four times the number of notal, notal, normal flight hours that you don't have a Class A mishap, which is some sort of you know maintenance malfunction in the plane or something that occurs where you, know, you have to divert and land and and different things, and and that's a testament to the 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 maintenance crews and just how tirelessly they worked to make sure that the pilots' lives were safe and the aircraft going up were were safe. And so that made a huge impact on me because those were my friends, my best. So that's friends. that's kind of like I mean the way you're describing that it's kind of like you know you're driving down the road you see some kind of manufacturing plant off to the side, and it says you know. 377 days since our last safety accident or violation or something like that. And, and really what you're talking about is the, the 2 million plus hours was four times better than, than the average or, or than, you know, what, what yeah. the expectation that happened in, in peacetime training <clears throat> missions and, and things like that. And so, um, yeah, you're, and we were flying out of Kuwait and Saudi and, and off of ships and over hostile, you know, airspace. And, and so it's it's phenomenal. It's a testament to, the, like I said, the, the crews wow. as well as the pilots and just how amazingly well prepared and trained they were. I'm constantly but, blown away. But it goes deeper than that. It's not just the, you know, the pilots and, and the crew chief and the... Uh, and, and the aircraft uh, mechanics. I mean, it's also, you know, guys like you. I mean, it's it's the intel, it's the supply, it's the, I mean, it, it goes down to the cooks, making sure that, you know, that, that they're taken care of. And, and I mean, I see, I love that because that to me is, that's what it's all about. It's not, you know, the pilots get the glory, okay? The, the, the trigger pullers get the get the glory, if you will. But at the, at the end of the day, and I can relate this to business all day long, it's, it is a team effort. You know, maybe one person gets the glory, the guy that takes the shot, you know, that catches the pass, you know, whatever, the, you know, it goes back to your, your days of playing uh, uh, linemen. If one person, <laughs> no, you didn't get the glory but you shared right. in the glory. You right. had the you had the belief and the understanding that oh my gosh, I contributed. However small, if my part had broken down, yeah, none of this happens. Every every everyone had to pull their weight. Everybody had to be prepared, and and it was it was a team effort all the way down the chain of command. And, and that was I mean, that those are lessons that I still take with me, you know, today in my day to day life, and and just how important that is, whatever the, your team is. Like you said, you can translate that into business world um, so easily. And so, sure. yeah, it, 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 it was it was kind of a symphony and everybody playing their part. Um, no one part more important than the other. So. I like that. It's a symphony. It really, truly is. And, and you know, I mean, um, I, I think that, you know, it, it carried the load. I think we, we have a lot of symphonic um, 
you know, tendencies because it, it is so important that everybody plays that role. So you get out of the Marine Corps, you find your way to carry the load. How did you find your way to carry the load? Um, quick, easy answer is Stephen Holly. So uh, Stephen, um, 2011, he picked up the phone, called me. Um, so he had moved back, uh, obviously, to Dallas. Uh, prior to that, we had connected. Um, he was a Stahlbach company as a um, commercial real estate broker and doing the same, basically, on the other side. I'm, I represent landlords. He represents tenants. And so we connected. Obviously, he has a Lake Highlands background as well as a, um, as a Naval Academy background and football background there and he was about five years behind me so I knew like my my mother knew Stephen's mother Paget really well and so we knew the family and when he was coming in I had gone and but you know had, had come back and was really excited because he was from my high school and, and was going to go up there to play football and so uh, after he got obviously out of the seals moved back to Dallas you know they started carry the load in 2011 Clinton Stephen and and Stephen picked the phone up and, and asked me to help grow the cause and uh, to take it, you know, to be, to be on the team that helped um, really take us from our first year, which is obviously a, a small gaggle around White Rock Lake that, as Clint joked the other night, half of them were Stephen's relatives. Um, no, 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 it wasn't half. It was like 90%. <laughs> and, and, it's the six degrees of Stephen Holly in commercial real estate. I'm like, how many relatives do you have that are like they're everywhere? Um, it's amazing. But um, yeah, so all kidding aside, he picked up the phone, called me, and I would, you know, he had me at hello. Um, I was I was all in and started, you know, with the team that helped plan the the first memorial march that was at Rivershawn Park and and got to participate in that. I just super passionate about it. it it resonated with me and um you know with immediately immediately like filled a void that i had with you know, how do i how do i make sure to honor the lives and legacies of you know my classmates and friends who were killed in action and um and not just them but but all of those and the fact that we weren't doing memorial day right as a country resonated with me. So you, you hit on two things that I'd, I'd like you to go a little deeper on. Number one is, is the void you felt. And number two is the, uh, uh, the classmates uh, you had lost. And can yeah, you think, go a little deeper on that? Yeah, I think the, the void that I had felt is just, you know, when you leave, um, when you leave the service and you transition to, you know, this, and it's, it, it's, there's a certain, there's a lot of it you never leave behind, but there's a certain bit of it that just is not the same, right? There's, you can't replicate that way of life in, you know, working in the private sector, um, in the commercial real estate. It's just, a, it's, it's a completely different perspective. And, um, I had so many friends that went and, and served and stayed in for a career and, and went to Iraq, to Afghanistan, some multiple um, deployments. And I just felt like I, you know, 
that I, I would always remember them. I would always talk about them, but like, what could we do? There was, there was, I didn't know what was missing exactly, but I couldn't, couldn't put it into the same perspective. Like Clint was able to put it into his, and when he put it into words, but I, but when he, when he did it, it hit me upside the head, like a ton of bricks. I was like, you know, that's the perspective that America's missing. And that's the perspective. And, and, and that void was just, wanting to see, wanting America to be better than that. And then the classmates um, and friends of mine that were killed in action um, were three individuals. Um, Doug Zembeck, who was the line of Fallujah, uh, who uh, was a wrestler at the academy and was in my basic officer course. Um, Megan McClung, who was actually the first uh, female Marine officer killed over in uh, overseas in, 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 in action. And then um, Eric Christensen. And Eric Christensen is a Navy SEAL. Um, he was actually involved in Operation Red Wing um, in the Black Hawk that went down there, you know, going to, going to try to find Marcus Luttrell and the others. Um, those who read Lone Survivor seen the movie know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Eric led that mission. And so, I mean, these are, these are folks that you know, I was close to for four years and, you know, was in class classes with, and, and then two of the three, I went through the basic officer course with Eric Christensen was in my room, like, you know, every other night because he's, he's sailing the sailing team with my, one of my roommates who is an incredible sailor, which you figure at Navy, you should, you know, you gotta have a good sailing. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it just, it just, they're, 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 they're my heroes, and I, I want to tell their story as much as I can. Um, they're, along with my grandfathers um, and, and a couple of others who, whose families have impacted our family in such a big way, and, and they lost loved ones that you know, I, I wanted to carry their legacy and their memory and ensure they were never forgotten, Ben Sclaver and uh, Ben Roberts. Um, and, and so it, it, I just... I want, I want to tell their story. I want to talk about them. I'm super excited to be going up to Seattle uh, tomorrow. Um, I've been in communication with uh, Megan's mother, Ree, who lives up there. And um, she's not able to make it to our kickoff, but she's going to watch on Facebook Live. And she sent a bunch of pictures of Megan that she had. And we just really enjoyed the, the connection that we were um, able to kind of uh, remake. I, I had I had met her years ago at an academy event where we had um, essentially a lot of those who you know from our class, um, the, their family had, had come and gathered with us at, at one of the reunions. So, so yeah, you're headed up. You're headed up to Seattle tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's. One of the things I've learned in, in hosting these podcasts is sometimes it's better just you know, sit back and shut up and, and, and let people talk. And I, I'm listening to the way you're talking about these three individuals. Um, you know, Doug Zimbeck, you know, really a lot of Marine Corps folklore in modern time. Um, you know, Megan has a, uh, has a very you know, unique and, and um, you know, un unfortunate distinguishing uh, aspect to her and and uh, you know Christensen I, I I get it I mean you 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 served 
alongside some some pretty unique individuals. And I hear the way that, that you're talking about them. And um, I mean, it just it, it, it moves me just listening to it. And, and so I'm I'm really excited to to follow the, the Seattle leg as you head up there and, and and kick things off. And I'm looking forward to hearing the reports back from it. And, um, you know, JJ, I learned, you know, as, as long as I've known you, I learned some things about you tonight that uh, that, that are fantastic. And uh, I mean, you you've you've lived a good life already to this point. I mean, you've been a, you've, you you've experienced some great things. Well, it sounds like we need to go grab a beer and catch up more. So I, there are things that, about you that I don't know that I need to know. And so we need to there are things about up. me you don't want to know either. <laughs> exactly. Right now. That's <laughs> why I said we'll grab a beer. Well, JJ, man, I appreciate it as always. Yeah. I love talking to you. It's Likewise, great, Todd. Great meeting with a former Marine and a fellow Marine. And, and thank uh, you, by the way, for, you know, um, and this shameless plug, I guess, for you, but like for doing this program, for being so passionate about Carry the Load, um, for leading, you know, the, the Dallas Memorial March and, and just that massive endeavor that it is every year. And, you know, you're in and you're out and just being such an ambassador for the organization. Um, it, you've been an inspiration to me. So I didn't want to leave this program without saying thank you for that. Wow. I, I'm very humbled to hear that from you. I, I really, truly am. I mean it. Thank you. I mean, it, it's, you know, I think, I think like you, I mean, it, it's uh, all the things that, um, you know, people say thank you for your service. And, and for the longest time, I didn't know what to say. And now when, when somebody says that, I always kind of respond with something to the effect of, you know, it's, I, pro I promise you it's more my pleasure than anything else because it truly is. It, it's, um, you know, like you, it's very fulfilling and can carry the load has been a, a tremendous plug in that gap. So, JJ, thanks for joining us, man. I, I really, uh, as thank always, you, you know, I, I, I was serious. I mean, you're one of my favorite people and I, and I love it. Likewise. So thank, thank you very much for, uh, for your time tonight. And my pleasure. For, all of you, for all of you out there, remember, we're about to kick it off. I mean, it is that time in America. And uh, JJ. Tune in tomorrow. And, yeah, tune in or, tomorrow. Sorry, uh, Thursday. Uh, that, that's right. I don't think Thursday. we're going to follow your, your flight up. No, Sunday, no, but, no, uh, that would be odd. <laughs> I'm not going to do live Facebook updates um, for my flight. No, you won't, but other people will, and that's good. <laughs> we, we want that to happen. So, you know, JJ heads up to Seattle tomorrow night or tomorrow, and uh, I'm actually going to be in New York before you know it uh, as part of the uh, the East Coast kickoff. And and uh, JJ, I think we, we have a good idea about who you're carrying. Uh, he told us uh, the three people that, that he's carrying every day. But America, remember, there's always one question you need to have a very good answer to. And that is, who are you carrying? <laughs>